0: Welcome to the Rapid Change Matters podcast. My name is Howard Cooper, and for over 14 years now, I've been fascinated with helping people to create personal change quickly. But I still come across many who believe that lasting personal change has to take a long time, consisting of reliving traumas or deep psychological analysis, or simply that flawed notion that understanding why you have a problem will somehow make it go away. I'm on a mission to get people who work therapeutically with others to shift their thinking and realize that these beliefs are not written in stone. Rapid change can happen. So, to help you open up to what's possible, I'm interviewing top therapists and agents of change who are out there getting real results with real people really quickly. Before we get to the interview, I just wanted to let you know that I've written a quick-to-read downloadable PDF on five strategies to amplify your client's response, with some great tips on getting your therapeutic suggestions to really sizzle. You can download this for free from rapidchange.works, where you can also find all the information about this episode and episodes still to come. Now, over to the interview. It's with a smile that I'm excited to introduce today's guest to the podcast. He's not only a highly respected hypnotist and performance expert, but has other career highlights as a sportsman, being world champion 13 times in kickboxing, Thai boxing and sport jiu-jitsu. He's the author of the book No Worries, which shows people practical steps of how they can rid themselves of nerves, anxiety and stress. And for those of us who follow our guest today on Facebook, you will know that this is someone who doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk. Or even, dare I say, runs the run. Welcome to the podcast, Gary Smiler-Turner.
1: Howard, thank you very much for having me here. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: The pleasure is all mine. But let's jump straight in. Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do and how you got started.
1: Cool, yeah. Um, Well, basically, uh, I've been a sportsman most of my life. Uh, as a professional for nearly 20 years um, and I've always had a lifelong interest in psychology because the people I was beating generally it wouldn't be through physical ability or technical ability it'll be through applied psychology um, and it just kind of led to me being a hypnotherapist uh, a change worker uh, amongst my performance expert work um, so I work as a performance expert uh, I deliver a behavioral change to people in my hypnotherapy I deliver behavioral change to people in personal training, generally concentrating on fight sports clients and also with teams, organizations, corporations, the same thing. I I work with behavioral change, basically. Um, I got into it because because I could, basically. (laughs) It was an interest of mine. And someone once said to me that you never work a day in your life if you enjoy it. And I enjoy my work. I just happen to get paid for fun, basically.
0: So I'm really fascinated to talk to you about uh, an awful lot of stuff. Um, but one of the things, as an ex-sportsman uh, within the world of, of fighting, how has some of the tools and techniques that you know about directly helped you, uh, you know, in the, in the ring or in a, a
1: combative situation? Well, the first thing is um, everything happens non-consciously. Conscious thought follows on after the non-conscious uh, action has already started. So, uh, for example, I get my I get my fighters in training to easily, effortlessly, non-consciously do the right thing at the right time, the right way, for the right effect, or in other words, mindless violence. Um, I, I get them to just allow their training to happen automatically. Stimulus response. We built up such a stimulus response set that when uh, an opponent moves in a certain way, they have the answer for it, and it just happens automatically. Um, so, when I'm working with, with clients and when I'm working with myself, it's all about deliberate practice to make sure you've got the right responses to a, to a stimulus. Um, and that's mental as well as physical, of course.
0: It's interesting you use the word non conscious. Because obviously I I speak to a lot of people within hypnotherapy, NLP, solution-focused work, and there's a a, a vast array of terms that people use for this thing that we deem the unconscious or the non-conscious or the subconscious. So why is it that you use the word non-conscious and how did you arrive at that?
1: I use the word non-conscious because it's the more scientific term. For me, unconscious is when I've hit someone with an overhand right and they're (laughs) laying out cold on the canvas. Um, subconscious quite often will come with more spiritual overtones for certain people Um, but the subconscious kind of means below unconscious under um, and neither of which are really in the world of cognitive science um, scientific terms non-conscious Is just basically everything that's not conscious so everything that's outside of conscious awareness is is non-conscious and if you study the leading emotional researchers work people like Ledoux, damasio panksepp even even paul ekman they will tend to use the term non-conscious rather than unconscious or subconscious to keep it more to keep it more within the cognitive science field um and, and i follow suit with that
0: So I'm all right going back to what you were saying uh, about the stimulus response that certainly if you're working with fighters you're doing stimulus response physically to prepare them non-consciously but then you also use your hypnotherapy or hypnotherapeutic approach to be able to train their non-conscious mind in the stimulus response Uh, and it's it's those two aspects.
1: Yeah, I mean, if, if you can think of consciousness, conscious awareness, like being a, a rationalization, a commentary on what we've already decided to do non-consciously first, or at least has been initiated non-consciously first. Um, it, it's, it's you know, we cannot not work with the non-conscious. I mean, right now what you're seeing uh, is one one-thousandth of a second behind reality. It's the bottom-up incoming information mixed with the top-down uh, information of everything you know about the images. Combining then to form on the visuospatial sketch pad, uh, 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 your imagined version of that reality. That's all non-conscious first. So even the receiving receiving of a stimulus is happening non-consciously. The whole process of perception is non-conscious first, long before we even get uh, the the conscious awareness of it. Um, So we cannot not be working with the non-conscious at any time
0: so it 's fascinating to me because we talk about non conscious and this idea that you know we 're priming ourselves for some other some other thing to almost have a control over our actions and then obviously you uh, i've noticed on uh, on your website, Gary, you have an interesting statement about hypnosis being right. I would argue that not all hypnotherapists would ascribe to, which is this idea that one can use hypnosis to control someone. So um, I was wondering how, how you how uh, you, you arrived at that conclusion and, uh, you know, what your thoughts about that are. If, if anyone's sitting there thinking, oh, it is mind control.
1: Oh, my word. How can you say that? Mind control? I would say it's more mind influence. For example, if I say whatever you do right now, don't think of me wearing a pink tutu as you're looking at me oh, on the. Oh, over, Gary, over the how could the you do that? Oh, well, you know, I, I like to ruin people's days. But, but, you know, luckily, I'm not in a pink tutu uh, because it's not Sunday. I'll, I'll leave that with the heels and, and, and ready for Sunday. Um, but if you're receiving a word, um, if I make the sound cat, for example, you're now ascribing meaning to that sound cat. You know, it might be a black lion, three-year-old cat or whatever. And it's forming, it, it's firing memory traces in your neurology. And if you receive the word, you cannot not have those memory traces firing. So, even spoken words, spoken communication, cognitive linguistics um what was it um I can't remember what the book's called now uh is it louder than words by Bergen, for example, great book on cognitive linguistics, I recommend everyone in hypnosis gets it explains quite nicely how language is received and processed by the human mind. if there's a motor action involved, the motor cortex will fire up with that motor action. there's an inhibition on it that will stop it coming to the final motor movement itself and the motor neurons. Yet, if you're thinking about a movement, you can't move that limb or that body part because there'll be a motor cortex, uh, 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 sort of confusion taking place. It can only hold one movement in in mind at once. So the thoughts, when you have a thought, it fires throughout the entire neurology, uh, the, the, the brain, spinal cord, peripheral nervous system, all the way through to the motor neurons with that inhibition on there. Um, So you can influence people's movement just by influencing their thoughts. You can influence their thoughts through words. And if it's being received, you cannot not influence them. Therefore, you cannot not have an element of control over them. Um, As a demonstration, um, I've regularly stuck people's feet to the floor while I've been sparring them during the sparring session. they definitely don't want to have their feet stuck to the floor when I'm hitting them. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's, you know, I have influenced them enough to control their behavior. And that's what we do. And it's not, it's not just through hypnosis that we do that. It's just any interaction is controlling other people. Just think of your mother's tone of voice, for example, she gives you the tone of voice and she's controlled your behavior. So we cannot not get away from the fact that hypnosis, like, like any interaction, any communication, is controlling other people. How would you
0: reassure someone who came and said, well, hang on, I'm, I'm really anxious about this hypnosis thing because, you know, I, I'm, I like to be in control.
1: I, I, I reframe it and say, good. <laughs> Be afraid. It is that powerful. I use it. I'll, I'll, I'll get hold of it and I'll, I'll, I'll grab it and run with it and make a bit of fun out of it as well. Uh, yeah, what I do is, is reassure them because I'm giving them back control. Mm. Uh, and the way that I work in my sessions is to give them control, is to teach them what I'm doing as I'm doing it so they can stand on their own two feet. Um, besides, say for example, uh, it, always, it always cracks me up when, when, when hypnotherapists will say uh, someone can't be made to do something against their will. Say for example, someone comes in for stop smoking. At some level, they want to smoke, otherwise they wouldn't come in to see you. Therefore, if we can't change their will, how can we make them stop smoking? So I'll use that, that we can actually control people. We can influence them. But I'll put it in a scientific framework at a level that's appropriate for my clients. If I've got a neurologist in, I'll be talking on the neurology level. If I've got a five-year-old in, I might actually dumb it down a little bit to make sure the five-year-old can understand it. But I, I talk in scientific uh, um, uh, evidence-based way. Um, I find it much more beneficial. But yeah, I'm, I'm giving control back. Um, there seems to be this kind of... Um, Impression that hypnosis is a thing. It's a, a a lot of people believe in a state model of hypnosis um, when there's just no evidence for that. Uh, where um, you know you, I will tell you what you will do, and you will do it as an automaton. Um, that kind of control. Uh, I don't see control like that. I see control as influencing behaviour, guiding behaviour, and not everyone has the right conditioning, the right learning to be able to just say, not now but in a moment, say one, two and click my fingers and you'll dance like a chicken. It doesn't always happen like that. You might have to do a lot of conditioning to get to that stage. But we cannot not get away from the fact that every communication is influence, every communication is controlling behaviour, because if that communication is received, it cannot not influence that behaviour, it cannot not control it.
0: So how do you go about creating conditions um, for people to become more responsive to hypnosis?
1: I very rarely actually do any what people would term classical hypnosis. Um, my work in definition of hypnosis um, is um, um, hypnosis is where your imagination is guided so much it becomes your reality with a sense of non-volition. And that's a general all-encompassing that I find um, is a nice working model uh, that that fits down and breaks down any hypnotic uh, um, uh, application um, because some people will say the hypnosis is, you see the hypnotherapist websites and it's like hypnosis is a lovely state of relaxation well when I'm sticking someone's feet to the floor when I'm fighting them they're definitely not relaxed in fact they're generally freaking out um, so <laughs> it, it blows out the water I'm just guided their imagination so much that they're believing their feet are stuck as they're believing it, the body's responding in kind, and therefore they 're behaving how they 're moving or lack of movement through the environment as how they're moving through space and time is influenced as a result um, so it, it's just a yeah i i don 't work in the classical classical way very often um i I go straight to phenomena uh, I cut out the uh, irrelevant stuff. <laughs> Um, I serve my client best by not wasting time and going straight to phenomena. And phenomena is helping them imagine being the person they want to be so much so that they are that person. So, oh, I'll have imaginary dogs running around the room, fairies off my, my mantelpiece flying around the room, you know, pulling moonies to make them laugh and have a have a negative thought. Um, I'll have, you know, hands stuck to things, uh, horns growing out of parents' head for kids. Um, uh, I'll, I'll be creating as much phenomena as I can in sessions making the sessions fun because once does therapy have to be boring let's make it fun and entertaining um, while we're going about the therapeutic change we're getting them to actually imagine being the person that they need to be so they can change their behavior and be that person
0: it, it's so interesting talking to you about some of these ideas especially because i think for people that may come from a traditional background uh, or more traditional therapeutic approaches some of these ideas might be in conflict with some of these things the idea of having fairies running around and getting them to imagine horns on parents might fly in the face of stuff what are the sort of thing, reactions from other traditional therapists uh, have you had when you've talked about this kind of stuff
1: I've, i find it quite funny because there, there seems to be uh, uh, generally uh, there's some people like me who use lots of uh, phenomena. Uh, uh, in in, in sessions Um, and some people can't see how it's used I use a lot of humor in my sessions Uh, I make things a lot of fun Um, so for example um, but because I I, I work to understand the structure of how I'm working behind it on on, on, on the cognitive level the physiological level um, I, I look to understand the workings of it so I can be artful with the application of science when I create phenomena it's not just creating phenomena just for, for phenomena's sake. It's, it's for a specific purpose.
0: Just in case anyone's not familiar with what you mean by phenomena, um, I, I suppose we're talking about hypnotic phenomena, things like negative hallucinations, positive hallucinations, kinesthetic experiences of hands being stuck.
1: you got it. Um, those, but to add to that, also phenomena in the way that they think, act and behave so it, it's um because uh, we're if it's in hypnotherapy it'll be a therapeutic aim that we're going for so that phenomena will also be changing their thoughts where for example they used to think of uh, a past trauma and freak now they think of a past trauma understand that it's behind them they're quite okay with the fact it's happened and now they're looking forward to moving on with their lives and being the person they want to be that's a phenomena as well we've changed their imagined version um it it, it takes me back to false memory syndrome which um there's certain um there's a certain um membership body, shall we say, <laughs> who uh have various uh ethics uh, where you shall not create a false memory. But everything we do is creating false memories. We're getting to imagine the past different. So when they recall it, it's it's changed. We get them to imagine a future memory different, a prospective memory different, in which case We've changed. We've created false memories. We cannot not influence someone without creating false memories. Um, But phenomena is is all about creating change, changing that person, changing their behaviour. So when I am mentioning phenomena, yeah, we've got all the classical side of uh, uh, the classical hypnotic phenomena. um, But also it's the way the client thinks, acts and behaves I describe as phenomena as well. So if I'm creating a positive hallucination, which, to be honest, I find the easiest and simplest hypnotic phenomena to produce. Humans being visual, uh, visual people, uh, we rely on the visual perception um, as, as a primary sense. Therefore, it makes sense that it should be the easiest to actually produce. So without a classical induction, I'll go straight to creating uh, a positive hallucination quite early on in the session. In doing so, I then teach them how they perceive the world. How what they're experiencing in the world is not the same as reality. Reality is there, but it's their imagined version of that reality. So, for example, I might say, um, you know, if a spider run out across the table right now, I might be going, "Cool spider, right on time. Better trained than my huskies. Awesome, right on cue. You're a spider, you're so cool." You, my client, might be going, "Oh my god, it's going to run across my face like that time when I was three. Ah!" I start freaking out because it's a spider. So the reality is the spiders, the spider. Everything else that we're experiencing on top of that is our imagined version of that. So I'll create hypnotic phenomena to highlight the fact that perception is not reality. It's a subjective experience of that reality, and in doing so, uh, you can kind of like reveal a matrix to them, <laughs> realities around them, but you know something how they're moving through it, how, what they're actually experiencing. It may be their reality, but it's the imagined version of the reality around them.
0: Absolutely. There is no spoon. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Gary, the, I, I, I notice obviously that there is um, you know, uh, a large proportion of your work that is a focus on evidence-based, uh, cognitive-based uh, techniques. It is Would you say the growing trend for solely evidence-based techniques preclude being open to anecdotal evidence? Not in
1: the slightest. After all, the scientific process starts with an observation. Um, anecdotes. Um, a lot of my work is is anecdotally based, but that doesn't prevent me from working out what the actual cause of that result is. For example, so you can refine it far better. Uh, I work with people like Craig Galvin all the time, uh, where I chuck some ideas to Craig, and and and, and we can see how minimal. We can we can on the reductionist level what's actually required what can we leave out what's not actually necessary to get the same change and then once you've got the bare bones of the minimum things necessary to get the result then you can just expand it uh, according to the client application that you have whatever that client needs but you know the core structure uh, uh, of the process behind it so it all starts with anecdote it cannot not my problem with therapists relying on anecdote is when they have explanations for it that don't have evidence so rather and than just what, saying well what, hey this is an me.
0: anecdote and it's useful in following where that leads me and what to look at they kind of Completed. just go well no no it, it just must be true
1: that's right um you know we're we humans we all fall foul of cognitive bias um my facebook post i've got a team of six people uh, with various fields who double check everything I put on Facebook to let me know where I've fallen foul of cognitive bias. Mm-hmm. Because we all have it. Um there, there there's uh if you look at my post every now and again there'll be little edits appearing and it's because I've cocked up. Because okay. I'm within my bias view. Uh, and I oh, know um Jules A. Lalonde, um, um brilliant fella from Canada, he may pick up and say, Gary, have you actually seen what you've written here it may not actually read how you're thinking you know something like that he's, he's picked up on it oh bugger i've 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 got my own you know primed perception here i've i've completely cocked up thanks mate or I, i've misrepresented something and taken it out of context um it's i've got people like that who who, who check my post for me and where i fall and foul out of, of cognitive bias they pick me up on it and i look forward to that ray cronoy is the former nasa scientist um he's taught me it's it look forward to being wrong is when you learn the most. So I think
0: that's so, a real message that a lot of people will will give you and will say, but it's not everyone actually lives and breathes.
1: Oh, it's yeah. It's uh, a friend of a great friend of mine, Richard Frisson. Um, he, he always says you should never invest in your beliefs so much that they can't change with new evidence. Uh, I like that. And, and so, so many people getting trained in, um, I mean, it's, it's rife within the, uh, the the change work field, hypnotherapy, NLP, um, and, and sort of the surrounding little little professions and industries um, where people invest in a product so much that when the evidence behind it is falsified, they don't change because they've invested so heavily in their product. Um, when products should develop, they should change. Um they, they should evolve. Um, I love the fact that Adam Eason slates his earlier work because he's now developed. Uh, and he's like, yeah, I can't believe at the, at the UK Hypnosis Convention they were selling they were selling my old book. It's so out of date. <laughs> I hate it. They need to get my new book on there to sell.
0: Well, on, on, on Adam's he... podcast, we, we spoke about, exactly about that and about how interesting it right. was that he was able to do you know, a 180 degree turn on something that he'd written about when a lot of people I think, you know, if they invest a lot of time and energy in something, they will hold more dearly onto it and it's quite admirable to be able to go, yeah, that was just wrong
1: do you know how freeing it is to do that though um i mean for example in nutrition a few years ago i, I was massively uh, um uh high fat saturated fats not bad everyone's got it wrong until i was led by uh, a nutrition lecturer friend of mine to actually look at the overall body of science and realize that you know if you look at epidemiological studies uh there is no evidence that shows that that, uh, on the face of it, that shows that saturated fat um, has, has 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 issues. Uh, but then when you look at the actual data hidden within and the intervention studies, uh, you start realising, actually, the advice to cut back on saturated fat, in particular from animal products, is absolutely on point, hence why the UK food guidance is what it is. I had to do, uh, uh, I was different workshops on it. Uh, I was living performance workshops, performance nutrition workshops. I had to do, again, a complete 180 on what I was teaching because I'd learnt more. Um, I always frame my workshops. And, and, and if I can frame it now for everyone here, I want everyone listening to question what I'm saying. Question it. Try and find holes in it. And if you can find holes in it, especially if it can be supported by evidence, let me know. Because <laughs> I'm not right all the time. I get things wrong. And it's important for me to continue developing. So question everything, even this advice, (laughs) and and see where it leads. Because, you know, there's nothing worse than investing in something that's wrong too much.
0: That's that's really cool. Really cool. Now tell me, on the rapid fire question round you mentioned when I asked you, is there anything that you've subsequently believed and then you've done a U-turn about yourself? And your response was, most of my NLP and hypnosis training – to tell us about what motivated uh, that answer and what your thoughts were about
1: it. Well, I did my hypnosis training and I, I realized quite quickly that there were some things that weren't resonating with me. Um, it seems to be a lot of I'm teaching what my trainer taught me and what my trainer taught me is fact. Um, it almost becomes a little bit cult-like where you follow the teachings without question. Um, and I like to question. So when I started questioning what I've been taught, I kept finding things that didn't ring true. And that just led me down the, the, the cognitive side. Um, NLP. Uh, I'm certified as practitioner, master practitioner and trainer level in NLP. Yet yeah, when you break down what you're taught, you find that most of it is inaccurate uh, according to science. I mean, the classic 7% of communication is just the words, uh, the the classic Moravian study. When you actually research and find out where it came from, that Moravian study is taken completely out of context. Now, the intent of it is is true. You need to check that the... Uh, uh, that your your tonality and your body language is congruent with how you're presenting it. You know, there's a body language element to it, a tonality element to communication. Uh, But to say that words are only 7% is completely incorrect. Um, And the more you look into uh, the teachings of NLP, uh, the more you find that it's taught more in terms of a metaphor rather than accurate science. Not only that, lots of it has moved on. Um, for example, transformational grammar kind of lost out in the great linguistic wars of the 80s to cognitive linguistics. I see like wizards firing words at each other without like in a Star Wars kind of, you know, Gandalfy kind of, you know, Obi Wan Kenobi way. Uh, so things need to be developed. Um, the Ericksonian language patterns, um, while it's fantastic being artfully vague there's no real evidence to, that I'm aware of that shows it being more effective than basically just calling it how it is and saying it straight with a direct suggestion. Um, uh, I think Adam will, uh, Adam Easton will be able to elaborate far more on that. That's, that's one of the fields that I believe he's, he's looked into in a, in a lot more detail. Um, yeah, it's just basically the more I questioned the more I found not quite to be true. Um, and I do it now. I investigate um, sort of new intervention approaches, um, and because I'm so up on physiology, because of my sports career, I have a look at a lot of the somatic approaches as well. And I love somatic approaches. I use touch, I use tapping, um, but I use the accurate or as accurate as I can, physiological and, uh, uh, cognitive, uh, basis for it rather than the intangible way that it's oftenly presented, um. I love EFT. I love TFT for the practice. Uh, There's reasons, very strong cognitive reasons why you can tap just about anywhere and get the same result Um, and the same when if you tap a dummy with a person observing or tap yourself, they'll start getting the result. There's cognitive reasons why. Um, I I like to understand the processes behind it and I, I do get frustrated when trainers rely on scientific explanations to be, which turned out to be completely unfounded. Um, One of my frustrations uh, was when I pointed out uh, that the amygdala uh, is, yes, it is involved in fear, but the amygdala is not involved in all emotions. So when you're saying you're depotentiating the amygdala in respect to uh, uh, this emotion, are you aware that the amygdala is not even firing up in that process at all? And therefore, the explanation there isn't accurate. Um, I I like things to be done right.
0: Can you share with us a couple of examples, case studies, people that you have worked with who have come in, they've got something that feels to all intents and purposes like something that, oh, you know, that was going to need a lot of stuff. And actually, they've had some fairly swift turnarounds and transformations.
1: Yeah, it's I mean, change doesn't have to take time. Change is, it change happens really quick. Um, I think too many people overcomplicate it. Um, I was taught to take detailed personal histories. Um, I very quickly found that it had no bearing on the sessions that I was ending up giving. Now when clients come in, I basically say, so what we're we here for today? And listen to their answer. As I listen to their answer, I see their physiology. I see their reactions. I listen to their words. I listen to their pronoun usages, their identity markers. And very quickly with with very little information, I know how they're structuring um, um, their, um, their, their issue, how to structure their problem. And therefore, we can be quite precise with how we're targeting our work. Um, if you target the right intervention in the right way at the right time for the right effect, change can almost be instant. The art of the application of science is finding the right intervention. And delivering it in the right way for the client at the right time for the right effect—that's the art—and um, that comes with experience. Um, I, I had a miracle week once where it was almost like dead would rise; people could walk on water, and it was like, "My God, I am—I am God!" You know, arise! You know, move your arm once more. I can move it. Yes, that's right. You know, miracle works. And then on the Friday, I failed on a stop eating chocolate. You know, it's—it's <laughs> it's, change can be really, really quick but it's just about being precise with that intervention. Um, and that's why I, I, I work on such a reductionist approach where I will I study so hard to learn the structure behind behaviour because it gives me a better understanding of how that person has learned to be that way and what I need to do to deliver that perfect intervention to help them change quickly. So that's the approach that I do with everybody. But when when someone's walking across the... Uh, uh, the road from their car to me and I see them walking with a restricted left side uh, and they sit down and I've I've studied them as they've walked over and I start giggling to myself because I know they've come in to relieve the emotion from uh, a bad car accident and they sit down and I'll say before we get started I just just want to tell you something I'm psychic now they're looking like I'm mad you know actually actually I'm not psychic Blue Fairy the fairy on the mantelpiece, she's psychic and she's telling me what happened in her accident the guy's looking at me like a man. I, I know you want to get up and walk off. But before before you get up and walk off, just just bear with me. Um, the car came at you from front right, didn't it? And just before it hit the front right quarter of your car, you turned sharply away from that car to the left. But were restrained from the seat belt. Would that be right? How did you know that? Because huh, I'm psychic. Well, I'm not. Blue Fairy on the mat piece psychic. And she's she's reading your mind and she's telling me. And he's looking at me like I'm cuckoo. Basically, I've completely nailed it. I then explained I'm not psychic. What I noticed was by his movement as he's walking across the car park, his memory trace is now firing with the accident or across the road. His memory trace is firing with the accident. So he's firing in his brain, his spinal cord, his peripheral nervous uh, system. And he's holding on to that memory in his body. He's embodied that the the the, because of the memory trace he's embodied uh, the experience i know that we move directly away from a threat so if his left side is inhibited he's tried to move tightly to the left which is added tension on the left side not only that because of the way the seat belts there it would have restrained him on his right side therefore mean he's pulling more to the left he's holding on to the memory of it i got him to close his eyes and what happens when you think of that memory now? Knowing that a memory trace would have a start point, content and an end point, that end point will always be, I've noticed, the point of most significant emotion. The memory trace stopped and that moment of horror frozen where the car came in front, right, turned sharply to the left. And that point of, oh, my God, where we stuck frozen and helpless, frozen in time. What I did was um, move that memory forward. We thought, what happened next? What happened next? What happened next? I got him to relax his body, so his body was completely relaxed. What happened next? What happened next? What happened next? Keep that going until he was quite relaxed sitting here in in, in the room. Got him to fire that memory trace on and on and on. So we've take it now to a new end point with a new significant emotion, which is quite relaxed, laughing a little bit, um, relaxed there on the settee. Then every time the memory trace fired it now ran to him being perfectly normal and balanced. Um, He left able to move his left side just about normally. And all we did was move the memory trace on. That's when he told me his neurologist had said to him, they can't find anything wrong with him. He's just got to learn to live with it. And that's an example of, uh, 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 for my quickfire round, one of the the psychosomatic uh, um, um, people that has come to see me where, you know, there's nothing wrong neurologically with him. Therefore, why has he got the problem? If the neurologist can't find anything wrong with him, it's got to be psychosomatic or another, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's got to be some reason for it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be happening. And, and in this case, it was psychosomatic and we, and we could free him up. So that for someone that had been told by you know his medical team he'd have to learn to live with it, within, I don't know, 20 minutes, he had, you know, basically full movement of his left arm and left side um that's rapid change that's not me creating magic that's just me with the experience that I've got come from my perspic- particular perspective being able to help that person um and we did have a lot of fun during the process as well because he did think I was a little bit psychic uh because I, I nailed the comment I'm just reading his body language um what have I got behind me where is it the monographs by Ben Cardle uh Ben is a real life is up here on my, my bookshelf behind me. Brilliant book. Ben is uh, um, a fantastic guy and he is Sherlock Holmes, massive Sherlock Holmes fan. He does all the auctions, the, uh, the inductions, the deductions, and he can read people's body language. What I've learned from him about tattoos is unbelievable. Um, uh, my, my, my current girlfriend, my new girlfriend, um, she's got a couple of tattoos. I even told her the year she had them made. <laughs> She's like, amazed. how did you do that? It's all thanks to Ben. You can read people. Once you read people and understand their physiology, um, how their body's moving is representative of how they've moved, how their experience has developed, experiences plus expectations carried in the chassis of the body, you can start getting a greater understanding for that person. Um, and then if you can understand that person, you're more able to deliver change. If you can understand that person, now you can deliver the right intervention at the right time, the right way for the right effect, test it of course, and change can almost be instant you just got've got to put the key in the right ignition or the right lock and turn it the right way.
0: so you've mentioned a couple of books already over our conversation, but if I ask you directly, have you got any books uh, that if there's someone out there who wants to get good at change work that you would recommend they go out and read or books that have been heavily influenced uh, influence your work
1: oh so many there's so many uh almost rapid fire if you want um books that i've learned so much from uh, in respect to change work attitude details interventions ideas i heavily recommend uh the rainbow machine by andrew t austin and Austin is definitely one of our leading peers highly respected a major influence in my early part of my career and therefore has impacted upon my entire career massively um, Provocative Hypnosis um, by Jurgen Rasmussen. Highly, highly influential in my work as well. Again, in respect to attitude, not just the, the, the contents of the book. Uh, but then on the technical level, um, I, I, I constantly study, I constantly study cognitive neuroscience, cognitive psychology, cognitive linguistics, physiology, nutrition, and, and such like. Um, so I'd highly recommend Memory by Isenk. Um, is great uh, Brain and Behaviour by Kolb uh, Cognitive Psychology by Eisenker um, More Than Words Sorry, Louder Than Words by Bergen, everyone should have um, there's, uh, there's so many good books out there but too many uh, people in change work, I believe just stay within the change work field Let's read Haley's book on Milton Erickson, let's study this guy's great works, he's a great therapist I like to go to how those therapists have learned to be the way that they are. So, for example, with Andy, yeah, he's got this fantastic book, The Rainbow Machine, uh, which is absolutely hilarious, entertaining reading, let alone the amount of teaching tales that are within it and the attitude changes that are in it. But I like asking Andy how he's learned. Andy, what are you studying now? What are you getting a benefit? Oh, you're moving more to the identity markers and, 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 and the pronoun usage there. So that leads me to works like Pennebaker uh, and uh, The Secret Life of Pronouns, which is an amazing book. Um, it's quite, it's how have those people learn to be the way that they are. What are they learning? Um, placebo and nocebo. There's a very badly named book, but it's an absolutely exceptional book called Cure by Joe Marchant. Um, and she's, she's helped me understand placebo and nocebo far more than ever before and as uh, hypnotherapists as change workers uh, the elements of of successful change work is a a therapeutic relationship you've got to be able to communicate with your clients Um, that does not mean the same as a positive rapport Uh, sometimes you don't need rapport that might lead on to a question as well Um, so we've got therapeutic relationship Um, we've got placebo the beliefs that they come with the positive beliefs about change that they come with nocebo the negative beliefs and quite often removal of negative beliefs will we'll, we'll remove that. We've got natural reversion. Um, basically, some shit just gets better on its own. Uh, sometimes, yeah, Sometimes it, we, we can't account for that, but we should understand it takes place. We've got the the, the magic of the work uh, is Hebb's law. Neurons that fire together, wire together. And we've got the entire cognitive basis behind that. We need to emphasise all of those areas and understand the best that we can in order to be artful with the application of science and, and cure by Joe Marchant is, is an exceptional book in, in that respect. Um, a field I'm getting a massive load of benefit from now is ethology. And I'm studying it from a canine perspective because it, it, it's, it's more simple and it's the origin of our behaviors because when we're born, we haven't got much by way of experience. What we've got is our bodies. And ethology is how our bodies guide our behaviour. For example, um, when a a pup is born, it'll automatically have the intrinsic motor pattern of rolling towards heat. If there's no heat source, it will automatically fire the intrinsic motor pattern of setting off an alarm bark. The mother, on hearing the alarm bark, will go and retrieve that pup automatically we know they do it automatically because if you have a tape player playing a recording of a pup doing the alarm bark it'll go and remove uh, go and retrieve the the uh, tape recorder and bring it back in with the pups um in humans uh if you put something in the palm of a baby's hand it will close and grip yet if it detects hair it will grip far stronger and all of these are the emergence of our intrinsic motor patterns they're the origins of our behavior the first time we've learned to respond to a stimulus and then they adapt over time. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting a massive benefit from studying ethology, the very origins of our behavior, the the, the initial sensitizing events, if you were, if you, if you, if you will, uh, how we've initially initially learned to behave in that way, right from the bare bones. So, yeah, I, I just urge people to study as much as they can uh, and, and, and around the subject. Because the serendipity that comes from reading around the subject, I I found an absolute goldmine.
0: Gary, if people are listening to the podcast and are keen to hear more from you, where should they go? How should they get in touch?
1: I've got my website, garyturner.co.uk, and I'm very active on Facebook. Um, I like Facebook because it, it, it tests my work and tests my knowledge, and we have a good laugh as well. And it leads me to meet lots of interesting people, so I'd love to meet you. Find me on Facebook. Join me up on Facebook. Uh, I'm Gary Smarter-Turner. I'm on, I'm, I'm on Howard's Facebook, of course, as well. So you can find me and link to me through through Howard. And come and join the conversation. Come and join the chat. Um, it's, um, uh, I do have, uh, I'm up to my 5,000 friends limit, but my, my Facebook page is public. So feel free to come and join in uh, and feel free to follow me as well on there. But yeah, GaryTurner.co.uk and Facebook, they're my two main, main ways of getting hold of me. and I would love to chat further with people.
0: Fantastic. Well, as promised, we will put, obviously, on the Rapid Change Works site, all the links and all the book recommendations. Uh, I mean, all the book recommendations. It's going to be a long page. Um, (laughs) But no, that's absolutely fantastic. Gary, before I finish up, um, the the, the last question that I often finish with is this. When we talked about the idea of doing the podcast uh, and interviewing today about rapid change, is there anything that came to mind that you thought would be useful to share with people that I haven't asked directly?
1: I, I, I just think that continue, you know, just develop the attitude of continuing to question and develop. I'm lucky because of my sports career. I've had some very good mentors um, that have taught me to evaluate what I've done. Um, so after every, every hypnotherapy session, and I do two hour sessions because I find them far more, uh, far more beneficial for my client and they end up needing a lot less sessions, um, gives me a chance to test the work big time, big time, big time. And so, well, so I know that the change has taken place when they, they leave the session. After each session, I'll go out and get some air. I'll mobilise myself. I'll, I'll hook the huskies up. I've got a couple of huskies. I'll hook the huskies up. And, and, and even though I've got half hour between sessions, I'll go out with them and walk around the block with them. As I go out and walk around the block with them, what I'm doing is I'm reflecting back on the session that I've had and thinking, with the power of retrospect, what would I have done differently? after this podcast, I'm going to take the dogs for a little walk around the block. It's a nice sunny day out there. Uh, I'll, I'll take them out there around the field behind me and, and, and get some air. And I'm thinking if I did that podcast again, what would I do differently? What advice would I give differently? What would I do different in the future? And in doing that, it's constantly developing. And as I listen back to this, I know that I've jibbered on quite too much at times and I'll be face palming at that. Uh, you get those moments of, oh, for God's sake, why did I miss that? Um, but then you think, right, OK, let it go. What are you going to do differently about it in the future? So in other words, just continually question, continually develop, continue learn. And as Ray Crony says, um, look forward to being wrong is when you learn the most. So, hey, smile and move forward. What's it uh, I teach my clients? be Be happy with where you are right now because you're moving to be better. That's great. I teach all my clients that um it's the secret to happiness i feel be happy with where you are right now because that's all you've got hey but it's okay because you're moving to be better there's a thought for people as well
0: lovely gary turner thank you so much for spending time with us uh, today and sharing your thoughts and ideas uh and general energy charisma and wisdom uh it's been an absolute pleasure and i hope everyone's enjoyed it as much as i have
1: fantastic howard you're an absolute legend and thank you so much. For your podcast series, now it's formed part of my weekly CPD. I like hearing other people's views; they're entertaining. There's knowledge base and if people haven't listened to the other the other podcast, there's, there's already a gold mine of information there. And for me, now it's essential CPD. Thank you. I'll continue professional development for those who don't know what CPD is. If you don't know what CPD is, you damn well should. <laughs> um, but yeah now it's essential it's essential cpd for me so thank you so much for taking the time yourself to put these on and helping me with my learning it's much appreciated
0: i hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did why not share it with anyone you think might be interested and even head over to itunes to give us a glowing review you'll find more about what's coming up on our facebook page facebook.com forward slash rapid change works And of course, you'll find all the links related to this episode, plus those free five steps to getting your suggestions to sizzle over at
1: rapidchange.works.